Hello and welcome to the Leader Lounge community, where great leaders bridge the gap between people and performance. I'm your host, April Qureshi. On today's show, I'm speaking with Alan Stevens, International Profiling and Communication Specialist. And we're going to learn how reading faces can build communication skills and trust in relationships. Welcome, Alan. Thank you very much. Great to be here. And so, so you read faces. That's right. Being able to read what a person's face says, how is that going to help us well, in understanding us a, people? It gives us a better understanding of how they like to think and process. And if we have that, we've got a better understanding of how to engage with them. So we know if somebody is you know, uh, very timid, they need space, et cetera, when we meet them for the first time, how much information they need to take in. The face tells us everything. And just to explain that, because I know that people are going to be going, well, how does you know, this work? Is it you know, clairvoyance? Is it some woo-woo type thing? If you lift weights, you're going to build muscles up in your arms. You know, we would lift bi uh, weights and bicep curls, you'll build your biceps up. You do it the other way, you'll build your triceps. And everything we feel inside, we express outwardly. So straight away, we know that if we pull an expression over and over, like anger, for instance, we'll have a start to get the, the mouth will start to turn down, we'll get the eyebrows pulling in. Mm. And so we find that if we think in a particular way and concentrate deeply, like if I really focus in on things, I get these vertical lines, you start to build ridges here. So the face is a history of how you like to think and process. And so that gives you an advantage straight away to know how much information to give that person. So if you don't mind, as I'm talking to you, I'll talk about some of the traits that you have that I can see if that's okay. Uh, yeah, you want to do that right now? Yep. Just so okay. that people understand. <laughs> it's best ways to do this and then we can get into how this works because until people understand that this works extremely well, then they're not going to really take much of the other end that we talk about. But I know that when you meet people for the first time that you're quite friendly, you'll stand reasonably close to them. When you're looking at uh, taking in information before you make a decision, you need to analyze everything before it so that you fully understand it beforehand. Once you've got that, then you're reasonably quick to get into action. At the same time, you, some people are very fast to go into action. As soon as they get the answer, bang, they're gone. Other people will take a lot of time looking at all the different possibilities. You're somewhere in the middle. You're fairly concise when you're talking to people so that you know, if you're telling a, a story, you're not going to give a lot of detail and you're not going to give just bullet points either. You're going to give a, you know, a reasonably concise but uh, enough information for them to understand. You're quite adventurous as well. You articulate well. It's about how things feel, where some people are all about expression and telling everybody what they're feeling. They're naturally great presenters, but they also do stress with the same fervor. With you, it's about how it feels inside. So I know if you go quiet, then you're thinking about things. You're trying to work things out for yourself. Because if I came along and kept on asking you what's going on, that's going to annoy you and you're going to walk back into your cave, move back away from me. Yeah. So I can tell from your face and they got a good level of confidence as well. So all of this tells me that how to present information to you. And that's what happens within the face. How is that? You've also got a dry sense of humor as well. So there's a bit <laughs> of a good wit there. How is that so far with the explanation? You're bang on, Alan. It's amazing. I don't know how you get the dry sense of humor out of looking at my face. Um, that's a curious one. 
Yeah, well, that one is actually in the, the filter and this curved area underneath the nose from the length of that to the top of the lip. Okay. You've got a reasonably large length. Some people got a very small one and those people are extremely fussy about things. Hmm. And by the way, before anybody who looks in the mirror and goes, I've got a short um, uh, filter and therefore I take, I'm fussy about things, I don't like that. There's an upside to every trait and a downside to every trait. So the uh, person who's got the short filter is quite fussy about things, but they are... And because they're fussy, as far as internal design, you go into a room, it's just white, there's nothing in the room, they can tell you what would look good in there. They're good at putting the colours and everything goes together. They're fussy about how they dress, they're always immaculate. So, but they can take things personally when people like you and I who've got a dry sense of humour, we uh, just throw lines out, not thinking about it because it's, we're not meaning it deliberately or directing it directly at somebody, but they will take it that way if we're not careful. So if we know that, I know not to be too flippant with some people that I talk to. Yeah, and I imagine if someone is just starting out, if they've you know contacted you and say, hey, Alan, I want to learn how to do what you do. I'm wondering how much, how much time in the interaction we actually need to spend on like analyzing a person's face or does it happen that as soon as we get it, we get it and we're able to see these um, patterns right away? Well, when we start learning, of course, it takes something. It's like anything. We have to practice it to get our head around it. And depending on the person themselves, some people have an innate self-confidence and they get things really quickly, or they think they do, until they're put to the test, you don't know. <laughs> and then you've got the other people who build their confidence. They're the ones that will take longer. But when they have their confidence, they know their stuff really well. So the time it takes to learn it is dependent on the person's personality. But the, as far as reading somebody, if somebody goes past you in the street, they say, you know, from 20 feet away, as they go past you, you've got most of their, their personality. You look at what stands out the most, what stands out second, how do they work together, moderate or enhance each other, what's third. And by the time you start getting down about 10 or 12 traits, you've pretty much got the bulk of their personality. As you're getting down into the other traits, you're getting middle of the road on those traits. And well, the middle of the road is a moderator of the two distant extremes. But as far as it goes, it's mainly the extremes on someone's face that tells you the bulk of how they're going to think and process. And you can get that because the face doesn't change overnight from their profile pictures on their LinkedIn profiles, their websites, um, on social media. If you can see their face, you've got their personality straight away. That's amazing. Um, and so I'm curious, having this skill, um, how does that help leaders engage you know with their employees um, or with their clients let's say or their teams how does that improve engagement well if the person first of all you know your own traits so that you know where you are on the world where you are on the world scale compared to everybody else once you've got that then it's a matter of reading the other person and knowing how to change the way you like to be spoken to to the way that they want to be spoken to and if you have a group of you know, staff, for instance, you've got a group of people around you, you can look at each one and change your conversation with each one as you go. Because they used to teach us if we had uh, we were visual, auditory or kinesthetic, mm -hmm. and you look talking to somebody who is visual, you would use words like, can you see what I'm saying here? Can you, you know, get, a, get in the picture with somebody who was auditory and that it's how does that sound to you? And somebody who's kinesthetic, it was, well, you know, how, does it, how do you feel about that? And you do that with the people in the room by just looking at them and knowing which one is auditory, visual, or kinesthetic. We were able to do that in the conversation, but now we can take it deeper because of the facial features. Now, if you're talking to your staff in that way, in the way that they want to be spoken to, you've got better communication. 
They understand what you ask them to do. And in that, while you're focusing on understanding them, you're also building loyalty because they will recognize it. Unconsciously, at an energetic level, we pick things up. How many times have you walked into a room and gone, oh, something's not right here? You can feel it. So we pick things up energetically. We know what that person's like. And so if somebody's speaking to me in the way that I want to be spoken to, naturally, I've got a, a more warmth or affinity towards them. It's like all your friends who have got similar personalities. They're our friends because they are similar in the way we think and process. And so you do that with your staff, straight away you've got a better position. Your salespeople, if they have the same skills, when they're talking to clients, they're going to have better connection with them. They're going to have greater rapport. It means they're going to be able to value add to the sales, be able to convert more sales, and they'll be able to uh, make a lot more money for the company. Mm-hmm. And if everyone's happy in the organization because of the way you speak to them, they're more productive. Because when people aren't happy, productivity drops. In 2016, we had 66% of the workforce, and this was the Gallup research that was done around the Western world. 66% of people didn't want to be at work. 48% were disengaged, but there was another 18% that were actively disengaged, and they were bagging their organisations, they were complaining all the time, they were vocal about it, not just being disconnected and being quiet about it, but very vocal. And so in 2018... The, the um, increase to 87% of employees were disengaged in their work. And so okay. if they're not happy in their work, they're not productive. So we had managers and they realised they had to put more KPI pressures on the people. They had to micromanage. And as soon as you micromanage, your staff only do what they have to do to get by and to keep their jobs. But then you've got to work harder in managing them. So we forgot about leadership. Now, if you've got the leadership and you're able to speak to the people the way they want to be spoken to, you've got their loyalty, you can go away and they'll continue working. They'll strive to make money for the organisation because they feel valued. They've got a place and they belong. Yeah. It's pretty simple. It, it makes me think of uh, someone like Julius Caesar, you know, who was a great leader and he was just able to bring people into his realm. Hmm just by the way he spoke and the way he engaged with people and the, the reading that I've done on, on Caesar is that, you know, as a military expert as well, he was not just standing from afar and pointing the finger and say, do this, do that. But he was actually in, in the, in the fray. That's it right in the mix. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering why I'm bringing this up, but there's some sort of thread there and it has to do around, creating relationships and you said to me once that um there's no such thing as a business relationship um that's right but everything is is a personal one and i think that you know when i when i think of julius caesar and i read the stories about him he he was creating personal relationships with each Mm. and every person each and every um uh uh uh, i forget what they were called back then but his army his army men he was Mm. creating relationships with them right and so Mm. Tell us a little bit about your ideas around how every relationship is a, is a personal one. Well, first of all, just on the Julius Caesar side of things, he was able to build those relationships. But if he had the extra skills of being able to read the micro expressions and the body language a bit more better, he may have uh, not got stabbed in the back by um, <laughs> Mark Anthony. So. Yeah, by the Senate, eh? The Senate was a different, a different uh, community there for him. So, yeah. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, 
Yeah, but I know that recently Bill Gates is reported to have said that the one question he didn't ask himself, but he does ask himself now, he didn't ask it when he was in Microsoft, was um, what are my business relationships like? Am I nurturing them? Are they growing? Because that the work he's doing now, he needs to have better relationships, but he still didn't get it right. See, business relationships, a business does not talk to another business. The building doesn't talk to some another building. It's the people in the building that talk or in the business that talk to people in the other business and so the end result is everything then becomes a personal relationship it's between two people and if anybody doesn't agree with that think about uh, you might have a, a leading salesperson in your organization or a you know you might be a finance um, uh, advisor the end result is if that person leaves your company and they might have a great list of clients if they leave the company the list usually follows them and so that is a personal relationship they don't stay with the company because of the company itself. It's the person that they're dealing with because, and this is why I don't understand why most people don't get this because at the same time, everybody's talking about the fact that people don't do business with you if they don't know, like, and trust you. Mm. That's a personal relationship. Yeah. And so when you've got that uh, solid, solid, then you're able to uh, build your business and leading into the coronavirus, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> into the pandemic, there were so many people who were disconnected from their work. And so the companies didn't have as much money as they could have had going into the pandemic. And some of those that have shut their door won't open again because they were living week by week. In the first week, they were struggling when the doors were shut. But the ones that had uh, the right attitude with their client, uh, their uh, staff, when they go, we come back out of again, they're the ones that will return the fastest because their staff will be engaged, not only because they've got the job back again and they're excited with that, but they're also excited to be in that company. The ones that aren't satisfied at work, they're just gonna go back happy they got their job and they're not gonna be as, anywhere near as productive as they possibly could be. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely essential for uh, business leaders to become true business leaders and build those relationships. Yeah, and it, I'm, I'm curious if, there's the possibility that there are some relationships that you just can't build. Like there's just walls and they just don't seem to come down. So what's your experience when that happens? How do you approach that? Well, it's in the way in which you explain it to the other person, how you engage with them. If they think that the only reason you're doing, you're, you're talking to them is because you want something out of it. But if you can show and bridge how, what you get out of it, connects to them getting something out of it as well, then they start to go, okay, they don't have to trust you because to that level, because you know, we, if we don't trust somebody, we're not going to do anything with them. Yeah. But if we realize straight away that they have their, they, their outcomes rely, rely on what we do, then we go, okay, they're not going to get what they want unless I get what I want. So there's a good chance then they're going to support me. Yeah. And so that's how you turn around that. Over the years, I've been in different businesses in the surf club, for instance, I was a club captain and we had a, an examiner who would come along and test everybody and he didn't like our club. He had a run-in with one of the guys and I'd only just taken the job over. I was only five minutes in the job, so to speak. So I rang him up and said, look, I know where you live. I'm coming around to have a chat with you. We'll sit down and have a cup of coffee and we'll talk this out. By the time I'd uh, left his place, we'd also emptied his uh, beer, of, a fridge of beer. <laughs> you know, we just hit it off because as I pointed out to him, I said, look, I'm here to understand why you have a problem with the club. What actually happened? And I didn't take sides with either. I looked for a solution by asking questions. 
And the fact that he realised that I was looking for a solution, I wasn't there to just defend the club. Mm. We became great friends over the years. And so it's how you address it with somebody. Find a way in which you can show them that them, when what they want to gain themselves is connected to you gaining what you want to gain. They can then trust you because you're not going to get what you want if they don't get what they want. And so there becomes that trust where it doesn't have to rely on personality alone. And I like what you say about the values there, trust and, um, and creating relationships with the people and looking for, for solutions, right? And, mm -hmm. and not just trying to back up you know, you're, you're one side or, or another. And so when we look at those values that come through in, in a relationship where, you know, both sides are getting their needs met, I'm curious what this, this pandemic, this COVID, what are you seeing as far as those values? So what values may have been dropping away since uh since the the pandemic started and and what values if any new values are emerging um that as a society as a, as a community that we're starting to recognize on a on a different level mm. what, what are you seeing there well leading up to the pandemic when we we're you know we we're closely related to everybody in the street the physical distancing wasn't there it was you know people are just brushing past you in the street we were so used to having people around us we went into the physical isolation and as soon as they added to the problem first of all because they've been calling it social isolation social distancing here in australia okay. and that has a negative effect because we are social beings. We need to have other people around us. We need to know they're there. Whether we inter interact with them or not, we need to know they're there. And so when they called it social isolation, social distancing, people straight away unconsciously started to fight that. And that's why so many people were breaking the rules and getting out there in uh, groups. If they called it physical distancing, which is what it is, I've never been more socially connected to people than I am today than I had been before. And so it's been the fact that people now are starting to realise, if you notice it on Facebook, there's less uh, people fighting with each other, less people taking sides on issues. There's more people having conversations, getting on Zoom, talking to people I hadn't uh, spoken to before. So Skype and Zoom and FaceTime and all those have been very active. So people are realising that we need other people. So the isolation that the pandemic brought has been a real advantage from that point of view. So hopefully, we don't forget that lesson. And so into the future, we'll realize that, yes, those relationships are really necessary. We had time management that came out, you know, the last century, which was all about, you know, cutting down the amount of movement, putting everything close to you, getting rid of the water cooler where people were wasting time having talks. Well, when they brought in time management, productivity went up for a little bit, but then dropped dramatically. Mm. Because the conversations you have around the water um, cooler 67% of the conversations in an organisation that's highly successful are normal chit-chat. What did you do on the weekend? Did you see that movie? What about the football? That chit-chat is, this is where people bond and this is where they decide they want to help and work with each other. So I'm hoping that time management will be put out of the way because, again, I've got my printer in another room. I have to walk to it every time I want to get a, a sheet of paper out of it. And that gives me some exercise. Otherwise, I just sit here and the more I sit at my desk, the more sedentary I become and the more I then get, it takes me longer to do a task. 
But if I get up and walk around, move, I can do that task quicker. So the thing with the isolation moment, I lack that as far as talking to people, but I'm doing these calls on a regular basis. So I've got that connection. So hopefully what we'll see in the, uh, in the future is that businesses, especially the managers and leaders, will realise that it's the connection we have with the other people, which is so important, and they will nurture that. They will encourage people to actually have, stop and have a chat. We don't make money by having talks about spreadsheets. We don't build those bonds. We build those bonds when we have a chat about things. You know, how are the kids going? Because we show an interest in the other person. And so that's yeah. going to be hopefully something that will happen. And this is a standing out in, in a number of the talks that we're doing during the summit is that, you know, it's those, those small touch-ins, those small connections, the chit-chat that, you know, create community, right? And mm. um, bring people together. And, yes. um, and so you also talk about not only the relationships with clients and employees but there's the suppliers and you know our hmm. personal and business networks and um you know I, I i'm wondering what's going on you know for you and your in your realm in your world as far as you know because the supply chains of are, are maybe dropping off maybe changing and you know just keeping keeping abreast keeping in touch and uh, communicating, it's, it's important, all those stakeholders in a business to be, um, to even, if, even if there's a temporary disconnect because of a, a shutdown, that those business relationships are still important. And so how can we begin to, um, you know, reach out and, and, and just, and just communicate how, how, how a business is doing, even though they, they may be struggling. Well, first of all, if you've got a good relationship with your supplier and your competitor doesn't, and there's only a limited amount of stock available, who do you reckon is going to get the stock? It's going to be you because you have that relationship with them. Uh, you can build that relationship now, even if you're not buying um, their stock from them. Give them a call, ask them how the things are going on. You know, what's happening? What pressures have they got? Are they going to be able to supply when they're back? You know, we're able to take supplies back in again. We're able to operate because your the supplies that you receive normally are products that you then sell. If you're not able to sell that now because you can't produce it because of the situation, then you know that, well, talk to your supplier, ask them what problems they're having from overseas. Get front of mind with them. If they're, they're, they think that you're, you know, know that you've called them because you're concerned about them. And by the way, do this genuinely. Don't just do it to manipulate because people will pick it up. So when you do it, have a chat with them and say, look, how are things going? What's happening with your supplies and everything else? You know, we, you're getting your, the things that you need from overseas to be able to then pass them on. What's going, what's going to be like when you come back on deck again? Mm -hmm. From the point of, yes, I'd like to know what's, how you're going to be able to supply me, but really... How are you surviving at the moment? What things are you putting in place to get through this period? And you get into conversations. And with that, you're starting to build rapport because people realise that you care. Because nobody cares about what you do until they know how much you care in the first place. And mm. so it's always, everything comes down to a personal relationship, doesn't matter what we do in life. The stronger we can build those relationships, the stronger the bonds, and the more that we, people are thinking about you. 
Mm-hmm. I've got people who are still sending me clients you know, years after. I haven't even spoken to them for a long period of time, but the connections we've made have been so strong. And I've got clients from 10 years ago who are still doing uh, testimonials for me today simply because of the bond that we had and the, the response they got out. Because when I work with somebody, my focus is completely on them. It's not on me. Mm-hmm. What do they need? Why do they want that? What's behind that? What's all the emotional connections to that? And in that, I'm, well, I'm finding that information out. They know how much I care about supplying with them with the right service that they need, one that's tailored directly to them. So the more you focus on the other person in your conversations, the stronger um, those uh, relationships are going to be and the more they get, they're going to be thinking of you in the future. And so we truly are a global community. Um, through this pandemic, we realize that, you know, action here has a, a definite effect across the globe. And That's it. So you're, you have an initiative to build a global community, uh, the We Together movement, uh, hashtag We Together, and it's called the Campfire Project. I'm wondering if you can share, share a little bit about that with us. Well, one of the things leading up to well before this, about two years ago, I was looking at it very closely and it came a lot from my background as well, things that I went through as I was growing up. And I realised when I was asking men, you know, because of all the Me Too movements and the Men Too movements and everything that was going on, I thought, how, how do you feel about things? You know, what, what's the biggest issue you have? Most people, men would say, oh, we just don't understand, we're confused. And I went, confused about what? Well, we don't know our role in the family. We don't know our role in the business uh, situation. And so that then causes more frustration. More men are unhappy. If you're unhappy and frustrated, that's when violence comes out because you feel like you've been pinned to the wall. And so I realised that we needed, and I thought about, well, women still have a rite of passage to a certain degree because you will talk to each other more. Whereas men, we've just withdrawn our cave, we've got to fix the problems. You know, we don't uh, feel that we can share our emotions because it's something that we never really did. We were more about the compassion and empathy. How do we fix the problem? And so we didn't delve into the emotions. We don't feel comfortable with emotions. And so I realised that for men, there was no rite of passage anymore. Hmm. But through some connections that I had with the Aboriginal community and the journey that I had with them, I realised that, you know, they brought boys into manhood about the age of 14. They would start to develop them along the way through. The men would be, their fathers would get them ready for the manhood and the other men would then take them the rest of the way. And I realised that we don't have that anymore. In most families, uh, or 50% of uh, families roughly, there is no male there. They're either divorced, so they're physically absent, or they're emotionally absent because they're too busy trying to build their business, bring the money into you know, supply everything. So while they're focusing on the money, they're forgetting about the connection they've got and they're disconnecting from their family. And so I thought, right, we need somewhere where men could come along in a safe place where they could then give their, um, uh, share their stories. They give themselves permission. And I realised that Me Too and Men Too all had a, a place to play because women had gone through a lot of abuse and Me Too came out in 2003. But then over a period of time, there were a number of women who were falsely accusing men. And so the Men Too movement came out into 2018 to combat that. So each one of them were creating solutions for the day, but then became the problems of tomorrow. And I see men and women fighting all the time or not connecting, not, not being able to communicate in the right way. So under we together, it means everything. We are together. You know, I don't care about religion. I don't care about culture. I don't care about uh, gender or anything else. Anybody who comes into the Campfire Project only has to have one quality. 
and that is there to have respectful uh, communications and uh, conversations with each other, to treat each other with respect and be and receive respect in return. And so the first uh, conversations I had, men were telling their stories. And some, one guy was six years old when his brother sold him for sex and those rapes went on for about three years. Another guy was 15 years old, protecting his two younger brothers and sisters while he watched his father stab his mother to death. And so I'd have one-on-one conversations like we're having here on uh, Zoom. And then I brought three of those men at a time into panel discussions. So there's four of us on screen and we talk about issues that were affecting the family. Now, most of the men, if they checked the um, uh, members list in the campfire, would have realised there were a lot of women in there already. But they gave them a safe place to actually express themselves. That's why we heard these stories. But the women were listening to the conversations and especially the um, panel discussions and sending me personal messages going, never heard men talk like this before. We love it. We really want to get involved in the conversations. We want to enjoy these conversations. And how can we get involved? So that was part of the plan. I then started interviewing the women. And then the women came to the panel discussions. And so we've got men and women in panel discussions having what we would call magical, respectful conversations. And so this was a way of anything comes up, we work it out together. So we don't need political correctness to you know, cause further problems where one group complains and everybody else has got to conform. So we're, because everybody here wants to have a better relationship. So everyone's going, okay, tell me more. Let me understand. I don't agree with you, but explain to me why you think that way. Right? You've been on the panel discussions as well and you know what they're like. It's where people can then have those conversations. So I created that and it's just continually growing, you know, more and more people coming in. Because that's what everyone's craving. They're wanting to be connected and do it in a respectful way without having any fear of having somebody jump on them or people taking sides. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so, Alan, if there was one tip or one tool that uh, our listeners could walk away with, today to help them uh, if they've never done facial pattern recognition before, what's, what's one thing that, that they can walk away with today that they can use to help learn about where a person's coming from uh, when they start up a conversation with them? Well, always focus on the fact there was a, an old saying that um, uh, treat other people as you would have them treat you. Yeah, it's no, that's not correct. It's a case of treat the other person as they would have you treat them. Mm. So the more that you can understand them, listen to them. If you, you don't have to uh, read their face. Yes, reading their face means you've got instant information. But watch them. Watch their behaviours. Watch how they're talking. Look at how they, they appear to be processing information. And you'll get a good understanding then of how they like to process. Therefore, you've got an idea of how to connect with them. But the more that you focus on them, the focus goes off yourself and the end result is you will feel better about connecting with them and they will also pick that up as well. Because when they talk about matching and mirroring people and people try to force it and the other person moves this way, they try and do the same thing. If you're connected to somebody with great rapport, you instantly do that without thinking. You watch two people who are having a real good time and laughing and sitting and talking. If one moves, the other one's moving, but it doesn't look like they're watching each other. They're just in unison because they've got that connection. So the more that you can connect with the other person by focusing on them, you, all the matching and mirroring will just become natural. They will pick that up and you'll have a stronger bond straight away. But focus on the other person always. But remember too that anything you hear, you, know, you might think, well, this stuff is a bit woo-woo and everything else. 
I've got an attitude that the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I think I know everything. So I'm always learning all the time. I'm always testing things. You hear something, don't just discount it. Go, well, how could that work? Do a bit of checking because you never know what you're going to learn in the process. That's great advice, Alan. And so if uh, our listeners today wanted to connect with you, reach out to you and get to know you a little better about the work that you do and uh, just maybe on a personal level, where can they get in contact with you? Well, the quickest way is to get in uh, through my website and they'll be able to see all the um, uh, success stories where people are talking about what they've got out of uh, using the skills. And that's alanstevens.com.au. Alan, A-L-A-N, Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S, .com.au for Australia. And uh, they can contact me through the website there as well. Or I'm on LinkedIn under, because uh, when I first started this, the media were calling me the celebrity profiler hmm. and uh, reading faces with the other terms. So if you search in LinkedIn, reading faces or Alan Stevens, you'll find me there. And if you look at Facebook, celebrity profiler or reading faces, you'll find my business page and personal pages. So um, yeah, if you want to connect with me, please do and check out the Campfire Project. Best yeah. way there is go to my main page on Facebook and you'll find um, it talks about uh, or ad, uh, what I call it, discussions about the different um, uh, panel discussions in there, little ads that will point you in the right direction. Awesome. Great. And so we'll have links to all of Alan's, uh, his free gift and his links to all his programs associated with this video check the speaker notes and click on those links and get on get in contact with alan uh and uh alan i just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your insights on um you know in you know profiling and being able to read people's faces and, and more importantly just using that as a communication and connection tool so thank, thank you very alan. much been enjoyable thank you Thank you for tuning in to the Leader Lounge Community Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode today, be sure to hit follow and share with your friends and community. Until next time, I'm April Qureshi. Bye for now.